Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four of Behind Every Great Athlete, the sports medicine and performance podcast. Today, we are continuing on our seven-part series where we are featuring amazing professionals from the sports medicine and sports performance fields. If you are interested in learning what it's like to work with athletes, to work in sports, and hear from all the behind-the-scenes heroes that help athletes perform their best, this is a podcast series you won't want to miss. We have already heard from Arizona State University head athletic trainer Kenny McCarty, ASU sports performance coach Jake Garrity, and ASU athletic trainer Amanda Doyle. And if you didn't catch those episodes, make sure to check them out. But for episode four, we felt we needed to spread our wings a little bit and bring in somebody from outside the ASU bubble. So my podcast partner and mentor, Dr. Alicia Montalvo, connected me to some of her New Jersey blood. We were able to recruit the amazingly talented Dr. Megan Jimenez. I remember in high school, my anatomy teacher put on a knee replacement video at lunch. And everyone else went, you know, to hang out with friends. And I was the only one in there eating my lunch, watching this knee replacement, like able to eat it while watching this massacre (laughs) occurring. And uh, I just remember thinking like, this is so cool. You know, how amazing to do all this cool stuff with my hands and be able to help somebody walk painlessly. Dr. Jimenez is a sports orthopedic surgeon with Emory University specializing in sports medicine and working with athletes. She is also a jiu-jitsu world champion and an author, because why not? And I will allow her to help us get introduced to her. So Dr. Jimenez, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I'm excited for our listeners to learn about you and your path into sports medicine and orthopedic surgery. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on here. So I want the listeners to hear from you to get us kicked off. So just tell us who you are and what you do in the sports medicine and sports performance field. Yeah, so like you mentioned, Alicia and I are both from New Jersey. We've actually never met in person. We were linked up by someone at Emory, uh, but we knew immediately we were both Jersey blood. And um, I moved to Georgia probably about almost three years ago after my fellowship at Washington University in St. Louis. And I am currently in my third year of practice out of training. So I'm still pretty young. I am 34 and I take care of uh, many different athletes down in the Georgia and Alabama area, as well as other areas. I'm a ringside physician as well. So I cover various fights, MMA and boxing, uh, Muay Thai, anywhere that needs a doctor ringside. I cover within Georgia and Alabama typically. And so I treat a lot of fighters and I think it's pretty cool to treat them because I know exactly what they're getting themselves into. They can explain moves to me and I know exactly what it was and I can deduce from there what injuries might've occurred. So it's pretty cool to be able to treat people that I'm also training with. And before we get into your educational background, um, talk about your interest growing up and the things that shaped who you are and your work ethic that ultimately helped push you into the the rigorous educational pursuits that you ultimately underwent. I think I owe a lot of that to my family. My parents came from Cuba when they were young and they came over with 
pretty much the clothes on their back. My great aunt, my grandmother all helped raise me as well. And everyone was very big into education and very into the American dream. And that's why they came here from Cuba. So I saw that growing up. And I think that was a big driver into why I pursued so much education and wanted to do something that would help people. And that would be an amazing career uh, that would not have me just kind of switching from job to job. And uh, I wanted it to be a lifelong thing. So when I was younger, um, I was in, I was originally in ballet. I like telling the story because it's pretty funny. My mom wanted me to be a girly girl and be in ballet. And I hated it. I was miserable. So last weekend, my dad told me the story again, because it seems to keep changing. The gist of it is that I was just <laughs> crying and miserable. My dad went to one class and He's like, what, what is she doing? Why is she just crying? And my mom said, that's what she always does. It's okay. We already bought all the outfits for the recital and everything. And uh, they finally agreed that ballet was probably not it for me. And they put me in karate. And that's kind of where I found my place. And I've been doing martial arts ever since. And I think that kind of drove me into sports medicine pretty flawlessly. So you went to USC, the University of Southern California, for your undergrad degree and studied neuroscience. So what experiences did you have in undergrad that helped shape your trajectory, first of all, into medical school, but then into sports medicine and orthopedic surgery where you ended up? I don't think that um, undergraduate education helped me deduce that I would be an orthopedic surgeon. It more so got me ready for medical school and the kind of studying that would need to be done. I went into medical school wanting, or I'm sorry, went into undergraduate school into USC knowing I kind of wanted to go into medical school and not exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I always wanted to go to medical school. I remember in high school, my anatomy teacher put on a knee replacement video at lunch and everyone else went you know, to hang out with friends and I was the only one in there eating my lunch, watching this knee replacement, like able to eat it while watching this massacre occurring. <laughs> and uh, I just remember thinking like, this is so cool. You know, how amazing to do all this cool stuff with my hands and be able to help somebody walk painlessly. And from there, I kind of solidified that I wanted to go and that surgery would probably be in the cards for me because I could handle that. That a lot of people can't really even look at blood which I didn't realize until I started talking to more people and they cringe when they hear what I do or see pictures of what I do. And I think it's so fascinating and it doesn't gross me out in the slightest. So I knew medical school and then kind of leaning towards surgery, went to undergrad, you know, busted my butt doing organic chemistry and all these things that are kind of nonsense when you think about it to go to medical school, because we don't really use any of that. So it was just kind of all these really difficult classes that essentially get you ready to study. I guess that was the point of it. And then um, graduated undergrad and at, towards the end started applying to medical school. And then you went to Rowan University in New Jersey, which is an osteopathic medical school. So why did you choose to study osteopathic medicine and become a DO and not tr traditional allopathic medicine and become an MD? Yeah, so honestly, I didn't really even know that DO schools existed at the time. It must—it was probably 2009 when I was looking at schools. And my MCAT score 
wasn't super strong. It was probably middle of the road or lower. And I was starting to think with my, some of my counselors, they said, you know, these might not be competitive scores to get in. So I, I said, all right, well, I'll take a year off. I can always reapply. And I only applied to a couple of schools. I applied to a handful of MD schools, maybe like five or six, um, and didn't get into any. And then found out that my primary care doctor that I had grown up with and that one of my neighbors was a DO who was a doctor. And I had no idea. I didn't, I had no idea what DO was. So I, my parents were like, why don't you call them? Why don't you, I think the application process was a little bit later. So they were like, why don't you just apply to these schools and see what happens? I was like, okay. So I, again, didn't think my MCAT scores were that strong. So I said, I might as well try. And if not, I just try again. And I applied to, I think only like three DO schools, potentially I applied to, um, I want to say PCOM, NICOM, and ROM, SOM, which at the time was University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey, UMDNJ. And I got on the wait list of UMDNJ. And so I was, I remember going to graduation in May, college, this was 2010. And I was kind of excited. I was like, I'm going to take the year off. I'm going to box. I'm going to do jobs and just try to take the MCAT again, study all these things. And then the day after my graduation, I got a call at like six in the morning, West Coast time, 9 a.m. Jersey time. And I didn't pick it up. I was sleeping the day after graduation. We had gone out and celebrating. So I pick it up when I wake up and it's from UMDNJ saying that they, that I got in. And so I was kind of in shock and I was debating even telling my, my parents, cause I was like, I really want to do this year, take a break and all this. And then I kind of just took it as a sign and said, no, this was pretty lucky. Like, let's just go with it and see what happens. And so that's how I ended up going to DO school. And then how was med school? Like how, how did you continue to cultivate an interest in sports medicine and orthopedic surgery from there? Um, did you have any distinct experiences in med school where you sort of ruled out other specialties? Oh yeah. In you know, the first two years of medical school are, uh, I don't remember much, I'm from anatomy, probably anatomy was my favorite class because it's a lot of histology and biochemistry and I don't even know what else was in there. Again, mostly things I do not use. So except anatomy, I, I can remember things from anatomy because I love being hands-on in a cadaver lab. And I think that also sent me the way of the surgeon route. And I around third year, you start going out into rotation. So I was doing various different rotations and giving them a chance. Ruled out OB pretty quickly, uh, family medicine and internal medicine, being in the hospital and rounding all the time. And I was not really feeling it. And then as soon as I got into the OR, it was kind of like, this is what I have to do. I was on a field one day, football sideline and with my mentor, who is still a really good friend of mine right now, John Nidecker, who got me into the ringside stuff. And he's a non-operative sports doc. And I went to a side, I went sideline with him in med school and kid tore his ACL on the field, or we thought, you know, the way he had the injury, he had a, a loose uh, Lockman exam. And he's like, yeah, it might be an ACL. He's telling me not the kid. And he's like, I was like, okay, cool. What are we going to do about it? And he goes, well, we're going to send it to my partner who does ACL reconstructions. And I was like, bet that's going to be me. And that's kind of, you know, it, it was all lining up that way. And then it was just you know, more sprinkles on top saying, yeah, that's what you need to do. 
And then you were then an orthopedic surgery resident in New Jersey for five years, and then an orthopedic sports fellow at Washington U in St. Louis for one year. And I sort of just meshed a huge chunk of your life and educational experiences into one because I want to shift gears a little with these next couple questions I have for you. So how did you or do you maneuver in a male-dominated space, orthopedic surgery, and how do you cultivate a style of your own during, during those years of your life, during residency and as a fellow? Yeah, residency was another big blur. It was, it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of hours. It's a lot of sacrifice. And in residency, I was pretty fortunate. I had one of my senior residents, Sophia. She was, I had, I had her as a female above. And then we were starting to take in more females um, after my year too. So our program was very friendly with females, which was great. Um, my senior residents, the chiefs at the time too, when I was coming up were so supportive as well. So I was very, very lucky to be blessed with a lot of males that were on my side and in my corner. And, um, you know, I, for the most part, I didn't feel like I was an outcast being a female and it might not just, just have not been to the surface at that time. And it may have also been that you're so sleep deprived when you're in training that you just, you're like, you don't know what's up and what's down. And you just, you're just trying to get, get work done and keep going, keep pushing. And um, I think as a female, I also, I also liked it and I still do because it's kind of cool when I get to work with female athletes and female patients, I think it's, I have more of a personal touch with that. And um, going through fellowship, there was a female that went through fellowship at my program at WashU before me too. So again, there were also females in the program as attendings and they were amazing. Um, I had uh, Lily Beganovic and Cece Pasquale and they, I used to just operate with them and love it. And it was so cool to have female mentors. Uh, granted, not a lot, I think. So I was at a course this past weekend that was a female in sports medicine course down in Naples. And uh, they said 6% of orthopedic surgeons are females. And I thought that number was higher. So I'm kind of surprised. I think there might be a little bit more in training now coming up. I just think that a lot of females shy away from orthopedics in medical school because it's such a male-dominated field and it doesn't seem appealing. Um, that's my thoughts on it anyway. And I loved it because I've always felt like more of a tomboy, been into athletics, feel like I mesh with men and women. So I I always thought it was, would be really cool to just be in the field and trailblazing for other women to come in without that feeling. And did you see things that you did or didn't like that from people you worked with maybe, or people older than you that helped you get, get a better idea of how you were going to be the physician and surgeon that you wanted to be for your athletes and patients? I had a lot of really great role models that are still very close friends of mine. And now we're all attending. So it's kind of interesting. I've got probably like five to 10 docs that I will just text almost weekly. Sometimes um, one of my trauma attendings, Dr. Q that 
uh, anytime I would say call. So I do trauma cases. I'm always texting him for advice, for tips, for critiques on how to just keep getting better. Um, I've got Dr. Catalano, who was like my dad throughout residency. It was one of those docs that just more old school taught me how to do a knee replacement, taught me how to do trauma. And um, I still talk to him. I've, I've got people from every area that I still talk to just because it's nice when you have questions and just to bounce ideas off of people and know that you're never alone, even though I might be in a little bit of a more secluded area here. I'm in the country in Atlanta, Georgia, outside of Atlanta. And I always have those mentors still, uh, which is really, really great. And then now jumping to the present, finally, you've been an orthopedic surgeon, sports surgeon at Emory University for the past almost three years now, I believe. So out of the athletes you operate on, what are the most common injuries you're dealing with? Probably ACL reconstructions, uh, meniscus pathology, um, rotator cuff surgery and instability, shoulder instability surgery, uh, along with, I take a week of call a month, which is a pretty fair amount. And that's a lot of community type trauma, hip fractures, ankle fractures, um, proximal humerus fractures, femur fractures, tibia fractures. So lots of long bone stuff, um, car accidents, elderly people with falls from standing height. So those are, those are probably my most common injury patterns that I see. And out of the, for the athletes that you work on, what concerns you the most about these injuries and athletes at a young age? I know um, you wanted to bring this up later. I think that the mental aspect of recovery from these injuries is probably the biggest thing because you are taking this, this athlete who their life is that sport. They live and breathe it. They from the moment they wake up, they're doing double workouts. They're when they're off season, they're training for that sport. And so you're taking them completely out of all of that when you shut them down. So I've been trying to figure out how to keep them involved, even if it's from uh, being on the sideline and coaching or any kind of, when we're in the rehab process after surgeries, I say, look, we have small goals. Now the goal isn't to go get a goal tomorrow in your game. The goal is to uh, walk with a normal gait. The goal is to strengthen your glutes. And I've tried to bring it down to, we still have goals that we need to focus on because they are very bolt oriented. And that's the biggest thing. Just explain that we're going to get back because the second that they don't think they're going to get back or that they start doubting themselves, then we have a whole new issue because the mind and the body are so connected. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Just the idea that for these young athletes that the sport they play the stakes they play them on and the circumstances surrounding like when when and how these injuries occur are incredibly devastating it always seems like and I just like recently watched as um Mallory Pugh Swanson I don't know if you watch uh U.S. women's national soccer team but she they were playing a friendly match against Ireland and um she tore her patellar tendon and the world cup is in like less than a hundred days so it's just the stakes of that the circumstances surrounding that it always seems that a huge major injury like that occurs at just the worst time so 
I'm glad you brought that up because I think undergoing and recovering from a major surgery is just as much a mental obstacle as a physical one that a lot of elite athletes will encounter at some point in their playing career. What are some key aspects of athletes' physical training and physical health that they need to be focusing on in order to help prevent injuries like that from even occurring? So there's a, there's a lot to that. And I think in, in a lot of sports, when, they, when, when these kids are young, even high school and college, nutrition is such a big component of it especially college, you're kind of living on your own. You don't have much money and you're just kind of going to Carl's Jr. or the Waffle House down here and you're eating crap. So I try to talk to my athletes about this and whatever you're feeling your body with is how it's going to perform. So you could just be so much above your level right now by treating your body well, you know, trying not to go out binge drinking on the weekends and um, sleeping the right amount of hours. And I remember college, you know, you, you're partying and then you're not sleeping and you can, you can kind of do it then. Uh, but how much better your body could be and how much better you could be at your sport energy wise. If, if every duck is in a row, especially for the most elite, um, athletes, the ones that are really trying to go to college, trying to play professionally, you have to be 0.001% better than the next person to make it sometimes. And that's, what's going to put you over the edge. Um, so switching gears again to, we kind of want to learn about your everyday work life as an orthopedic surgeon. So what is a day in your work life like typically? Well, it kind of depends on the day, on the week, um, if I'm on call or not. My call weeks tend to be a little bit crazier. Um, I typically have Mondays off unless I add surgeries, which happens. And then if I'm on call, you know, things will come in on that on the weekend. So um, if I'm not on call, though, Mondays are often a day for me um, where I will do my workouts. I'll read. I'll get ready for cases, get ready for the week. And then Tuesday is a big office day for me. So I'm in the office all day. I'll typically work out in the morning. So get up around 430 do my workout Tuesday morning. And then Tuesday night, I usually have meetings and hang out with the dog. Wednesday is an operative day and I'll do cases that day. If I'm on call, things will typically come in. So, um, I can operate anywhere from three to eight, you know, it just kind of, again, depends on the week. And then, uh, Thursdays, sometimes I'll do a half day of office. Uh, and then Fridays is a half day of office. So it's a pretty, sweet schedule I have kind of tailored it to not destroy myself um, anymore you know I'm not trying to shove in 30 patients every day as much as I can because I don't feel I'm giving the patients as much time and as much of my energy and I, I don't like being completely drained mentally and how do you work with the rest of a sports medicine team to help your athletes receive the best care, like the athletic trainers, the physical therapists, and how important are those relationships? Well, they're crucial with everyone. I mean, the team is my nurses, it's scrub techs, it's physical therapists, and I'm very lucky to have them next door and where I live. A lot of my patients just go right next door. And so 
it's amazing because I can just, you know, it was a, a rotator cuff and they also had a subscapularis tear, which changes the recovery a bit. It changes what you can do rotation on the arm with. And so it's really nice to be able to just text them and then they put it in their notes and everybody knows. Um, or, hey, this was supposed to be a meniscectomy, but I fixed it. It was a fixable tear. They're in a brace, changes recovery completely. And so I do that after surgeries when it was something unexpected or something that we weren't sure. And um, I used to have an athletic trainer who was also my first assist. And he recently went up to Atlanta. So I miss him definitely. And now I have um, other first assists nurses in the OR scrub techs that helped me tremendously. Uh, the athletic trainers at all the schools are amazing. And I have a really good relationship with all of them because I think I have about five schools or six schools that I cover in the area. And when I see the kids all the time, I'm texting the trainers because the kids typically either don't remember or don't want to remember, you know, that they're not supposed to be doing anything for two weeks, three, whatever the case is. So you know, to avoid any miscommunications, I'm talking to the coaches too a lot of times about different things because sometimes, again, the kid will go in and say, oh, she said, I'm fine, I can play. You know, I've got an injury when you're not supposed to be at that football game Friday night. And I don't like communication and I don't like putting the kids at risk. What do you like best about your job and what do you like least about your job? Best is definitely treating the athletes and watching them from the moment I see them in the office and tell them about whatever this, this big injury might be, if it's an ACL reconstruction, that's a really tough conversation to say, Hey, look, you're out for about nine months to a year. Cause that's what it is after surgery. And, um, but then to see them kind of with support from everyone, the team, the therapists, myself, my team, and see them go through everything and come out stronger sometimes than we started. And going to their games, watching them score goals, watching them hit, watching them just do great after the full recovery. That's, that's the best part to me. And then worst part uh, would probably be the computer, <laughs> the computer right. and uh, talking to insurance companies and getting things approved or doing peer to peer. Like that's the, the part that just unfortunately takes more time than the other stuff. And it's required. So how do you find balance in your personal life and your work life? I was asked this question yesterday as well. And I don't really believe in the word balance because I think it's all subjective. Um, you know, what, what I want to do with my life might be different than the next, what will be different than another person. And for me, it's about not feeling run down every day. I remember what I felt like in residency, medical school and fellowship and even my first year as an attending just wanting to do more and show up even when a crisis happened in my personal life or whatever just burying it under the surface and saying no I can do this I can still operate I can show up and then not sleeping and it just wasn't a way to live and so about a year and a half ago or so I finally said this is enough I kind of hit rock bottom and started doing things more for myself taking care of myself, sleeping finally, um, having a night routine, having a morning routine, spending more time with my dog, going to the gym, doing things that were important, sitting, reading, right? And so all these other things that were not work were really important. And I've slowed down at work because of it. And it's, it's okay for me. And that's, that's the good, 
I guess you could say the good balance, the good um, relationship that I have with work and life. Where um, do you see yourself in five to 10 years career-wise? Well, I think uh, I'm hoping to see myself treating more athletes. I do have a lot of athletes and I'm on a place where there are, there's a lot of obesity here in the country. There's a lot of, um, I guess the nutrition here is, is a little bit poorer than if I were to treat athletes, maybe in a city, maybe where things are more accessible. And I'm hoping to treat a very, very active population and uh, put my focus in on athletes, uh, regardless of the age, you know, 50 year olds, tennis players, even it doesn't have to be anything competitive, even leisure. I just want to see people get back to activities. And if you were giving advice to a college student who wants to be an orthopedic surgeon like you, what would your advice be? Try to get linked up with someone who is an orthopedic surgeon and talk to them directly about what you want to do, what you enjoy in life, what sparks your interest. Make sure it's for you because it is a ton of work. It's a ton of training. It's competitive. It's stressful. So I would just say make sure it's really what you want to do because it is a 14, 15 year commitment from college getting to where you want to get to. And then for, I've had a lot of people ask me, you know, it looks like you do a lot of things outside of work. How do you do that? Because it's not typical for an orthopedic surgeon, which is a shame uh, because I've heard a lot of friends that they're just so stressed down, like stressed and bogged down like I was two years ago. And you might not make as much money. And I still do very well, even if it is less than when I started. It's just finding what's important to me and being able to treat the patients I do treat being happy, stress-free, and being able to provide my time. So I would say make sure you're doing it for the right reasons and make sure you're ready and that you enjoy school. I think I um, told you this before we started recording, but I need to iterate it to the listeners that we have just barely scratched the surface of everything that you are everything that you do and everything you have to offer to this world. Um, I think when I was doing my research on you, I was so inspired and I felt very like related to the things you've gone through. I listened to a podcast you did with Natty Boss on the Empowered Athlete podcast. And you guys spoke for an hour just about experiences you had and it had nothing to do with orthopedic surgery. So from the podcast, I realized that you truly are incredibly wise and talented and are so much more than just a surgeon. And I think we will need to have you back on for a completely different episode, maybe with um, Dr. Alicia and have a conversation about your story and your experiences. And um, I was really fascinated with just your commitment to self-discovery and optimizing your performance and potential and kind of all aspects of your life. So that was incredibly inspiring. Um, but yeah, I just, I wanted to be sure that my listeners knew that everything we talked about today, although a huge part of your life being a orthopedic surgeon is probably just a fraction of who you are and sort of the influence that 
you have. But um, I'm feeling very grateful that you took the time to speak with me today and help our listeners hear about you, learn about some things orthopedic surgery entails, and listen to the path you took to get to where you are. So thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, we'll have to do something when my book comes out. Amazing. If you can share, what's it? Um, what can we expect from it? It's more of a mindset book. It has kind of two portions to it. And the beginning is uh, about limiting beliefs and baggage that we all have. A lot of my baggage, my life story that I went and just tried to get rid of or you know there's always new things surfacing there were there was a lot going on from my first 30 I guess I, I started the journey when I was around 32 the first 32 years of life plus you know ancestry and everything that comes into your DNA that that provides that baggage and that thinking I couldn't do things and believing it the unconscious mind and that's the first couple chapters and then the well, the rest of the book is the tactical chapters. So it's about nutrition and morning routines, night routines, recovery, um, all the things that I do that I did once I started on this journey to make myself better and keep pushing forward. So it's kind of just a lot of literature about different things I do, supporting things I do, what I eat, um, why, why I do cross training, the importance of sleep, how I sleep, how I get to sleep. And so it's just, it's a lot of, stuff that I think people just over time had been saying you really need to put out something about what you do because I would just randomly start I, I do now I'll go into the OR and be like you guys know why water is so important and what type of water to drink and I just start spewing out all this stuff and they're staring at me and they're like what the hell are you talking about I'm like well I did three hours of research last night on water <laughs> like where it comes from and the supplies and why it's important to drink these electrolytes and they're just fascinated and they're like oh, wow, like that matters. Yeah, that does matter. And it's little things. And I'm just kind of hoping to put all these little tidbits and information that I've researched over the past year and a half into this book. That's great. I think our listeners will be, well, we don't have any listeners right now. I don't know why I keep saying that. But eventually, when we put this all out, hopefully we have some listeners that will be really interested in kind of hearing more about your your mindset into the these little other pockets of things that you're exploring and gain more wisdom from you in the book you're writing. So that's awesome. But thank you so much for taking your time to be with us um, and sharing your journey into orthopedic surgery. Yeah, thank you for having me. Okay, team, that's a wrap on episode four of Behind Every Great Athlete, the sports medicine and performance podcast. If you are interested in sports orthopedic surgery, Dr. Megan Jimenez, or have any questions for us behind the podcast, please see the links in our episode notes. That will be our hub to provide more information on guests we have on the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode. We will try to get Dr. Jimenez back on the podcast to talk all things jujitsu, recovery, wellness, self-development, etc. But that is all for today. I hope you enjoyed and please come back to listen soon.